0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. I am your host, hanging out, talking my favorite hometown, Cleveland sports, as always, with my older brother, Chris. Chris, welcome back from our break. How's it going?
1: It's going good, Bob. A lot has happened in our week off. and uh, Let's just say, uh, well, well, had we recorded last week, we wouldn't have known what had happened. In the series just yet, so we probably would still be pretty optimistic only down two to one. Let's just say it was good that we had a little extra time to process what happened with the Cleveland Indians,
0: yeah, definitely good that uh we we didn't record um on the twelfth or the eleventh uh have had some time to to process the Indians blowing. Uh, a 2-0 lead against the New York Yankees in the American League Division Series, uh, losing those last three games against the New York Yankees and officially eliminated from postseason contention. Uh, Chris, less than a week has passed uh, since the Indians were booted, and I have to say it still stings. I haven't been able to watch uh, any of the, the league championship series just because I am so down and out. Uh, on these Indians losing uh, Chris, just how big a deal is this that the Indians weren't even able to win a a playoff series this year?
1: Well, it's a huge deal for one. I mean, they won over a hundred games and they lost in the first round. Uh, That that's obviously a major letdown right off the bat. Um, And and I, I, I totally echo your sentiment, Bob. I have not watched a single pitch of baseball since the Indians lost Uh, my boss today was talking to me about some of the games and and i'm I could just see in his eyes like as he was talking that I was looking at him like he was speaking a foreign language because it began became very clear that I had no idea what he was talking about because he just started going right into plays and stuff, and I'm like <laughs> I'm like I haven't watched anything since the Indians lost it's just been too painful. I can't bear to look at any of these teams still playing baseball because Every time, if I were to try, I'd be like, it should be the tribe right now, yeah. especially the ALCS. Yeah. I can't watch the ALCS at all because that will definitely happen. Obviously, in the National League, uh, you know they don't play over there, but it, 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 it's 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 a huge letdown. I mean, how can you say it? you can't say it any other way? They choked. They completely choked. They were up 2-0. They had not lost back-to-back games in seven weeks. August 23rd. I was actually at the last time they lost two games in a row. And then they go on the 22-game win streak. But still, even when that streak was snapped, they didn't lose two in a row. They go up 2-0. And they lose three straight, Bob. They lost three in a row. Like I I get it. Okay, fine. Maybe you drop one in New York but three in a row for a team that that was so dominant down the stretch bob that that is a complete and utter choke job i don't care that edwin incarnacion was hurt in game 2 i don't care this team was supposed to be deep they dealt with injuries when they won 22 straight and overcame them bob you can't you can't phrase it any other way they choked
0: yeah no absolutely they i mean this was the team to beat in the American League. Uh, yeah, the Houston Astros were really good, but everyone was expecting the Indians to, to make it through, especially against the New York Yankees. Um, and that's not to say the Yankees are, are bad. I mean, they won over 90 games and uh, pushed the Boston Red Sox to, to and, and clawed their way, almost winning the American League East. But the Indians were dominant in the second half and have MVP candidates. They have Cy Young candidates. They have a bullpen that that is unrivaled uh in, in the american league i mean their favorites all all around the board and and it all fell apart in, in those last three games um yeah chris i mean it feels good to talk to an indians fan because you know i don't have uh, a lot of people to commiserate with down here in nashville and with it being a a non mlb town um I I'm, I I work with a lot of Cubs fans and a lot of Yankees fans and it's been rough. It's been a rough week, so it's good to finally talk through some of this stuff and, and and get this out. Um Chris, yes, obviously the Indians choked, but I mean, where who choked? What went wrong? I mean, break down those last 3 games for us.
1: Well, I think it has to start with Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez. Uh, it felt like every time those two came to the plate, uh, they were either pressing too hard they did not hit very well in the series at all and when Edwin went down I felt like they pressed even more other than Lindor's grand slam to to pull the Indians within one in game two he was pretty quiet throughout the series and Jose Ramirez was a complete non-factor and those are two guys who maybe 16 days ago we were talking about MVPs. Well, that was not an MVP type performance from either of them. Uh, Jay Bruce. People were on the verge of giving, uh, you know, kicking down the Tome statue and putting up Jay Bruce's statue after Game Two, and then he kind of faded away as well. Uh, you know, yeah. Most of the big bats faded after Game Two. Whoever was hitting well in the first two games, that all just ended. I I felt the Indians bailed out the Yankees pitching. They were not very disciplined at the plate, especially in Game 3. Tanaka, I understand, pitched well, but they were chasing some pitches that they don't normally do. And I felt that they were out of their rhythm, and I felt that they just did not take this patient approach that had gotten them all their success and it just it just felt like every time they came up they were trying to hit a home run they were trying to be a hero instead of just doing what they do best and that's stringing hits together and being a deep talented 1 through 9 lineup and, and so i i, I lay most of the blame on the Indians bats who just went completely silent after game 2
0: yeah not not just i mean their bats um you know we you got good production on Roberto Perez and Jan Gomes and the bottom end of that lineup. Um, but the big bats up front, the the one through five guys, I mean, Jason Kipnis, 182 batting average. Jose Ramirez, 100 batting average, only two hits and 20 at-bats. Francisco Lindor, only two hits, so remove that grand slam, and he has one hit in, in the, his other 17 at-bats playing all five games. And Carnacion, yeah, he, he hurt his ankle. He went hitless, though. He played three games and did not get a single hit, Michael Brantley, who subbed in for Encarnacion, one hit only. Uh, Lonnie Chisholm also going hitless. I mean, Chris, this is this lineup absolutely choked. They were pressing. They couldn't do anything. I mean, Jose Ramirez is, is, is an extra base machine, did not have a single, single extra base hit. Uh, all those guys that I mentioned kind of give me pause to put any blame on Jay Bruce because I felt like, yeah, even though he didn't have his power numbers, uh, in those latter half of the games he was still getting on base and and, and producing uh ramirez kipnis lindor encarnacion huge no-shows and i, I totally agree with you uh but chris it, it was more than just the bats i mean Corey kluber in two starts did not look like the Cy Young candidate nor the postseason hero of last year uh really shaky starts in game two and game five and then the defense just caved in in game four and five, seven errors over that span. Giovanni Urshela, who whose sole purpose uh, starting for the Indians is his solid defense, two errors in, in game four. Uh, it, it wasn't just the bats. It was, it, again, it was a complete choke job uh, from just about everyone. The, the only people that came in and did their job, I'd say, were Carlos Carrasco, who pitched brilliantly uh, in, in game three. Uh, and, and Trevor Bauer, who, I mean, did not get the, the, the backing of the defense in his second start. But that first start, he was absolutely lights out. And, and he did what you, you expected him to do in, the, in that game four. So the starting pitching, maybe not so much. But when Corey Kluber has a, a plus 10 ERA over two games, uh, it, it's hard not to put some blame on them as well.
1: Oh Oh, yeah. The pitching definitely deserves its fair share of the blame. But, Bob, you said it. Bauer and Carrasco stepped up. Carrasco pitched outstanding in Game Three. Bauer was off the charts in Game One, and Bauer, you know, he's going to get tagged for a lot of things that, like you said, don't belong to him. Because four errors led to six unearned runs in Game Four. That is beyond disastrous, and especially bad when you're you're the team that led the league in defense by a considerable margin. How they played that awful in the field in Game Four is astonishing. I mean look I get it you know errors happen one error happens four that's ridiculous you're never going to win a playoff series if you commit four errors in a game and seven errors in the last two games as you said that's just it's just it was it was a disaster bob it was a complete and total disaster games 4 and 5 and you, you just felt it slipping away when Servino hit that second home run off of Kluber. You just, it, the two-run shot, when he hit that, that's when I'm like, oh my gosh, they're actually going to lose this series. Because you, it, it was just the Yankees jumped on Kluber right away. You could tell he didn't have it, and, and it just went all downhill from there. But, but yeah, Corey Kluber, huge disappointment. And I am sure he is counting his lucky stars that those Cy Young Valets were already in. Because if they saw his playoff performance well, I don't know if he'd win. I mean, Chris Sale didn't exactly light like the world on fire, but he did come out and, and pitch a, a great, great bolt, you know, in relief for that Red Sox series. So I guess that was a little bit better than Kluber. I, I'm just saying, Klu- I don't know if there was anything wrong with Kluber. I don't know if there was an injury or whatnot, but he he was terrible. And, and when you have your ace on full rest two games and you lose both those games, that, that uh, excuse me, they won game two, but they went down eight to one. and But
0: yeah, by a miracle, they won that game. Yeah, exactly,
1: I mean. right. I mean, it, you know, really, the only game the Indians played well in was game one. I mean, yeah. it, the Yankees outplayed them in game two. And, and you give the Indians credit for coming back, but the Yankees outplayed them most of the series. And, and that's the astonishing part, is that the Indians just... They just fell apart.
0: It fell apart uh, in all facets of the game. And just a quick correction, uh, Gregorius hitting those two oh, home runs. Savino, obviously. Yeah, Savino's obviously do- a dominant. pitcher. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> and, and, and also had a had a really good strong showing in, in game four. Um, but, yeah, Gregorius rocking Kluber in, in game five. I agree with you. It had eerie similarities to game seven of, of the World Series. And, Chris, that, that brings up the, the point. Indians now uh in their past two playoff series have had six opportunities to clinch the the series victory and are now 0 for 6. Uh how much are you of that blame are you putting on Terry Francona?
1: That's a tough one. Um the World Series especially because those last three games he had to start three pitchers on short rest which again you could blame Terry Francona for not starting a fresh arm in game 4 so he wouldn't have to do that but I don't know if I blame the World Series on Terry Francona. This one, though, it's tough because I don't think I'm blaming Terry Francona. I don't think I am. I don't think I'm there yet. Um, I I think the team, the blame is on the players in this case. Just because Terry has shown us so much over the last two years, and I don't think that there was a managerial decision that screamed out at me. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that, yeah. that that he made a decision that led to the collapse. I just think the team fell
0: apart. I mean, the only one that sticks out to me is Urshela obviously fell apart in Game 4. Yandy Diaz not in the lineup or not on the roster. Uh maybe that roster decision made might have made a difference, but if if we're talking about the decision to start Urshela over Yandi Diaz, a lot of other things had to have gone wrong. Um yeah, I, it's hard. I mean, yeah, I, I you know, last year was such a surprise that they got to the World Series that they went up 3-1 against the Cubs. Um they didn't underperform in those 3 games. Uh they just got they got outplayed more or less. I mean, there was, uh, you know, that big error by Naquin um, and a couple other errors uh, in those games, but it wasn't a complete collapse like these three games. Um, I I think if the Indians, you know, it's only been a week, but looking forward to 2018, if they win the American League Central again, have a strong roster, healthy, uh, you know, have award candidates heading into the postseason, uh, and the Indians fall apart again. I mean, that's a trend, and, and I think Terry Francona is going to get a lot of the blame, and might be missing a job at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, this this feels different than last year. I agree with you, but you know, 0-6 in, in, in clinching playoff games that's not that's not an attractive stat to have as a manager. So I think everyone from Corey Kluber to Jose Ramirez to Terry Francona uh ha- have a lot of soul searching to do cuz this was a utter disappointment.
1: Well, I-, I think when you have two World Series rings and you uh, you're gonna get a little more leeway. So we've shown that he can win the big one. The one I, I you you brought up a good point with the Ursh- Urshela decision. I'm going to twist this another way. Kipnis, Chisholm, and Brantley all missed significant time in September because of injury. Basically we're on rehab at the end of September and and somewhat in the playoffs too. Like Michael Brantley was essentially rehabbing in game two of the ALDS. Should those guys have been on the roster? And I'm not saying they're bad players. I'm just saying based on the fact that they couldn't rehab, they clearly were not themselves, should those three guys have been on the roster? We debated this earlier. Should Kipnis and Brantley have been on it? And I think a lot of people trusted Terry Francona. And I'm not saying that, that 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 trust was misplaced. But I think a lot of people scratched their heads when all three of them were on the roster. A couple other key contributors like Dan Otero, Yandy Diaz were not. And, and so th- there's one thing that I might question Terry Francona on. is Why rely on the three guys who still needed to get back into form? and is is the playoffs the best place to do that
0: yeah i mean Kipnis uh, of the 3 had had the longest you know he played essentially most of september so i, I believe he was he was ready um he, he didn't he didn't play like he was ready i mean he he had a horrendous appearance at the plate um yeah it, it's hard to you know when when you look at, at how this offense performed and how good yandi diaz was down the stretch i mean he had a much better second half than the first half and for him to not be on the roster um yeah you you got to you got to think that that might have have played out differently i mean he would have started in place of Urshela. those errors may or may not have happened he might have been a spark at the plate um uh, it, it's hard not to to think about what what could have been um having Diaz on, on the roster in place of uh Chisholm Hall or, or Brantley to be fair to
1: Urshela, game four was really the only bad game he had. I mean, he had played fine in the field up until then. Yeah. And the guy had been a phenomenal glove. So, I, I do think Yandi Diaz, in hindsight, should have been on the roster over Michael Brantley because when you lose your DH, you can at least DH Yandi Diaz and still have that glove in the field.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: But, but again, I'm not saying that you should envision losing your DH, but... In the event that you do, do you really want Michael Brantley to be your DH? That I guess that's all I'm getting at here is Yandi Diaz, I think, was more ready to contribute than Michael Brantley was. Not necessarily saying they're better players or not, but based on Brantley's injury and what Yandi did down the stretch, probably deserved that roster spot over Michael Brantley.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, Chris, uh, this is an Indians team... Stacked. I mean, one of the best relievers in the game, Andrew Miller, a Cy Young candidate, and Corey Kluber, a couple MVP candidates, and Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor, one of the best managers in the game. They won a, a record uh, number of games in a row. They 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 have the American League win streak this season, uh, the American League Central title. To say that this is a disappointing season would, would be an understatement. But in the pantheon of Indians disappointments. Game 7 of the 1997 World Series, Game 7 of the 2016 World Series, uh, where does this rank in disappointments? Number one,
1: I, I'm going to place it above both of them, and here's why. Because in 97, obviously, it was very heartbreaking, and 2016 was obviously very heartbreaking. To lose Game 7 of the World Series the way the Cleveland Indians did, uh, it, it, you know, 97 especially still kind of haunts me to this day. And uh, 2016 uh, still has left the mark as well. But when you lose Game 7 of the World Series, you enter the offseason with optimism. You enter the offseason saying, Wow, we were that close. We're going to get it back. I mean, this team, just one little play. And and eventually you start thinking about how awesome the experience was of being in the World Series. Okay, And, And as disappointing as losing in the World Series is, and it's disappointing... And Cleveland has done so twice in very epic fashions. At the end of the day, you still got to play in the World Series. You still got to experience a World Series. And I think most fans, while they regret the way it ended, still look back on those teams. Bob, when you talk about the 90s, the first years that come up are 95 and 97. It's not a coincidence they got to the World Series that year. Same with 2016. They are ultimately good memories. Nobody talks about 96. Why? Why? They were upset in the first round by the Baltimore Orioles after having a phenomenal year. I compare this to that 96 team. Now, obviously not quite as many wins, but I believe 96 team won 99. And they they didn't even make it out of the first round. They were upset. This has that feel. This has a sour taste, a sting. And especially since, Bob, in my lifetime, this is could be the closest they ever get to to winning the World Series. And, and they didn't even get there, but they had such a dominant team that it felt like they were just going to do it. And to lose the way they did is just gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, and bitter. And when I look back at 2017, I'm going to have those same feelings that I do when I look back at 96. So I, I think this is number one. I would rank this most disappointing over even over the two World Series losses.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's really well said. Um, yeah. If you look at rosters, Indians rosters, this might be the most disappointing roster, uh, in Indians history. I would also look back at, you know, the 2007 Indians, they, they were pretty stacked too. Um, yeah. So I, I guess they, this roster was the most disappointing. Um, but you know, you, you said it, uh, Nobody really remembers that 1996 Indians team the way they do the the World Series teams. And for me, you know, I, you know, as a young kid uh, watching those 90s Indians teams, I don't have a full, uh, a whole lot of memories of them. I I have you know fragments and whatnot, but I, I remember those World Series, and it still hurts me to this day that they lost those. Uh, I have serious uh, emotional pain from losing that 2016 world series. Uh, it, that really, really hurts. And I was, uh, very close to a depression from that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm going to forget this 2017 team. I, I am, I'm going to remember the 2016 world series over them. And over time, I'm just going to forget about them. Now that maybe worse than than actually losing Game 7s of of a World Series, but I'm going to forget about them. I'm never going to forget the the Game 7 of 1997, nor those last three games of 2016 and the pain and and disappointment I felt there. So I I don't think it's worse. Yes, the roster is probably more disappointing, and I had higher expectations of this team, but to be right there and, and to blow it away the way uh those two teams did in the world series uh, i'm never going to forget that and it's going to it's going to hurt me for for most of my life
1: yeah i mean i'm not going to forget them either but but i do think that ultimately even if you lose in the world series there are still more positive feelings associated with that season than negative ones and and i think and while while i agree bob that the the world series the three world series that we've experienced in our lifetime together um, will will always be the first thing that come to mind. If you bring up the winning streak to me ever again, I'm just gonna be like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Like the winning streak now just becomes another symbol of heartache that it was a great thing that that just ultimately doesn't matter without a world championship. And I, I, I just think that this kind of a letdown, yeah, you're not going to remember it because you're not going to want to. And I think that any time someone brings up this team, you're just going to be like, "Yeah, they lost in the first round." And it's just going to be a bitter memory. And and I just I feel like that is more disappointing than the heartache of losing a World Series, especially the agonizing way the Indians did in 97 and 2016 both in extra innings.
0: Well, no matter what, how, how you spin it, it's still uh, very upsetting, very disappointing. Uh, how you rank it doesn't matter. It's, I mean, any Indians fan uh, has to be still thinking of what went wrong in the ALDS. Uh, but, Chris, we will now look forward a little bit uh, and wrap up this Indians season. A couple key free agents are, are set to uh, hit the market. Uh, J. Bruce, Brian Shaw, Carlos Santana, Joe Smith, and Austin Jackson will all be unrestricted free agents in 2018. Uh, And there are also some club options uh, that the Indians can pick up on Michael Brantley, Josh Tomlin, and Boone Logan. Um, Of those names, who do you think the Indians should target uh, in terms of re-signing? And then what should the Indians do with those club options?
1: Well, I think the top three are going to be Jay Bruce, Carlos Santana, and Joe Smith. I think those are going to go right to the front of the line. Brian Shaw is going to be up there as well. I mean, I know I just named pretty much all of them, but but they're key contributors. I mean, Austin Jackson came in on a value contract. I don't know if he's going to sign a value contract again, but but we'll see. Um, but I think the top two are going to be Jay Bruce and Carlos Santana. They're going to try to keep that lineup intact, especially just just surrounding Edwin. And and uh, Lindor and Ramirez with some big mashers and and Santana, one of the more disciplined hitters at the plate. He, he may never be a regular 30 home run guy, but if he can get 20 plus home runs, draw the walks he does, and 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 hit for the RBIs he does by by the extra base hits, uh, that's a very productive player. And of course, Jay Bruce, another big lefty masher to go with your big righty masher. So I, I think those two will be the top two. I don't think both will be back. Because I think that'll cost a little bit too much money. Um, and and I, I don't know how they would prioritize Joe Smith versus Brian Shaw. They let Joe Smith leave in free agency once. I would think that Brian Shaw would be more of a priority in the bullpen than Joe Smith.
0: I mean, Brian Shaw, uh, a lot of people give him some flack, but he he is a league leader in appearances is kind of the glue of that bullpen. And, and real
1: quick, had a really good ALDS, by the way. Saved For their sure. bacon in game two.
0: He's not a bad pitcher. I don't, I don't understand the flack he gets. He but gets when he's, so
1: much slack. It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I guess when you're you know handing the ball off to to Miller and, and Cody Allen, uh, you got to put the blame on somebody. But <laughs> I I think he's 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 legit. He's also four years younger than Joe Smith. Uh, I I think he should be a target for sure. Um, obviously, Michael Brantley has a twelve year twelve million dollar option to pick up. Uh, I think you have to do that. I mean, just give him one last shot to regain his MVP uh, candidate form uh, of a couple of years ago. Um, So that leaves a decision down to whether you go after Jay Bruce or Carlos Santana, Jay Bruce, I mean, is a year younger than Carlos Santana. I think he's more consistent in his power. I think he's going to command a higher market value uh, on the free agency market, but I, I would go after him. Um, As Carlos Santana has been a great contributor to the Indians and I appreciate what he has done, but I I just think that he is not as valuable as some, as we often make out. I I think we have still have this expectation that he's going to be a power hitter and and he really isn't. I mean, he's a 20 home run guy and and we expect him to hit over 30. He's only done that once in his career. Uh, His walks this year were at an all time low lowest since his rookie year uh, jay bruce is a model of consistency for mashing 30 home mm-hmm. runs i know what i'm getting out of him he's a year younger i say you go after him and i say you also consider moving brantley or jay bruce uh to play first base uh, i think that would ease brantley's injuries concerns uh, and it would replace carlos santana because you you do when healthy if you bring back bruce and brantley you, you do have a log jam in the outfield um, and with letting Santana go, you can then move one of those guys to first base, and I think they could uh, make that move pretty easily.
1: That's interesting. So, so you would pay Michael Brantley twelve million instead of maybe saving that twelve million and trying to keep both Bruce and Santana? I, oh yeah, I think for that's sure. an interesting question.
0: I would do that. Uh, the potential for Michael Brantley is is way higher than what I'm getting out of Carlos Santana.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking up some stats. I just wanna kind of be sure about this. I I think it's I think it would be interesting. I think it's an interesting call. I, I get where you're at. Brantley when healthy has more potential than Carlos Santana. I would agree with that. But is Michael Brantley ever going to be healthy again? And Carlos Santana is still a strong switch hitter who can help provide protection for some of these guys in the lineup and who will get some good looks hitting around the guys that he hits. Um I don't know, but but $12 million is a lot of money, and you got to be sure about Michael Brantley if you're going to give him that option because if they pick up that option on Michael Brantley, it, it almost guarantees that they will not be able to bring back Bruce and Santana.
0: I mean, I, I, I think they're going to get priced out of Jay Bruce unless they are going to go in for another $20 million. Uh, I don't think Jay Bruce is—he might be a little bit under, but— I mean, he hit 36 home runs and does that pretty consistently. He's going to get a big paycheck, more than the uh, $13 million he he was getting paid this year. And the Indians really didn't pay a whole lot of that. The Mets ate over half of that. Um, I mean, Carl Santana as well is not, I mean, he's going to command more than the $12 million that that he made this year. I, I think given that, you know. Not even having to negotiate with Michael Brantley, just picking up that option. I think you have to do it because, and consider moving him over to first base. I, I, I think that could help. I, I just think given of those three, Michael Brantley, when healthy, uh, is is so valuable and, and so good, and is a true, you know, front of the front of the lineup hitter in the number two or number three hole and can do so much and doesn't strike out he walks more than he strikes out which is a rarity I just think you have to give him one last shot
1: yeah I mean I, I look certainly I wouldn't complain if they brought Michael Brantley back I'm not saying that they shouldn't um but I also think it's it's an interesting decision between the three because I, I think at most you're only going to get two out of those three and again 12 mil is a lot and with both of them commanding raises, if you can take that 12 mil and keep both, it, it'll be it'll be an interesting to see how they approach it. I do think they will ultimately pick up Michael Brantley's option or somehow keep him on this team because he's meant so much to this club and, and he's been such a good contributor. And he still, when healthy, is one of the better players in the baseball. So, you know, it's not just sentimental here. He can produce. Um, it, it's going to be... A, that. I think that triangle of players Bruce Santana and Brantley will be the the most interesting element of this offseason and and the tribe front office has some pretty tough choices in front of them
0: yeah they do Uh, I'm curious to see what their budget is I mean obviously they surprised a lot of people going all in on Encarnacion and and forking out 20 million dollars a year on him uh last offseason are they going to stay put uh are they going to spend some more because they could easily I mean there's been a power surge in the MLB there's not going to be a shortage of good bats on the open market and I think they could they could find other replacements for for guys like Bruce or or Santana at at key corner power positions in the outfield and first base so it'll be really interesting to see what kind of budget they're working with
1: I do think they will be more aggressive than we are accustomed to just based on the fact that they were aggressive in 2016 at the trade deadline and in the off season. And then again at the trade deadline here, getting Joe Smith and Jay Bruce. So I do think that this Indians club has turned over new leaf. And, and I think they recognize that this is a, a, this is the time to strike and they're willing to pay for it. So I, I do think they will be more aggressive than, than historically they've been.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that'd be great. <laughs>
1: I mean, you got to go after it when you got the shot. I mean, you don't get many of these.
0: No, for sure. Yeah, you have to. Well, um, try and remember the good times (laughs) with this Indians roster, you know, the win streak, the the second half, um, but definitely ended on some sour grapes. And I'm not sure uh, I'll be thinking too fondly of this 2017 Indians season, but that is a wrap for that. Obviously, there's some, Some playoff baseball happening, and we might check back in on the World Series once it happens, but a little too soon to to check in on it now. Let's move on, Chris. Uh, Baseball ends, and basketball is set to tip off this week. Uh, The Cavs hosting the Boston Celtics. Um, Chris, a lot of non-action by the Cavs in the first half of the offseason – uh, and then the second half, uh, crazy things happen. Kyrie Irving getting traded to the Celtics. Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas added. Uh, Jeff Green added to the roster. Derek Rose, Jose Calderon, and then Dwayne Wade uh, in, in, in the last month. Um, a very different looking roster, but you know Kevin Love, LeBron, they're still there. Uh, with all the roster turnover, is this Cavs roster better or worse heading into 2017?
1: I think it's deeper. Definitely, I think when you add Jay Crowder and Dwayne Wade, you got better on the wing and you got deeper overall. I think Derek Rose is an improvement at backup and and will will be starting point guard until Isaiah Thomas is healthy and and Isaiah Thomas is probably the only spot where you got a little weaker because I do think he's weaker than Kyrie Irving, but he's not a bad replacement for Kyrie Irving, so I think overall the roster got deeper. And so it got a little bit better overall. But I do think they lost a little bit of star power. Uh, because I get it. Wayne Wade's a big name. Isaiah Thomas, big name. Kyrie Irving, I think, is a better star than both of them. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a better fit. So it remains to be seen if the Cavs have the high voltage necessary to compete with Golden State. And it remains to be seen just how exactly everything's going to fit together. But I think from a depth perspective, they did get deeper and they did as good as they could have, um, in the wake of being held on, held hostage by one of their superstars. So I think overall they got better. I I don't necessarily know if that's going to translate into more success in the postseason though.
0: Yeah. I agree with that outlook, uh, certainly deeper and they can absorb some injuries to anybody uh, not named LeBron, um, I agree. the 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 talent isn't as concentrated as it was last year. You know, as long as LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love were in good health, uh, you ha- you had a uh, pretty strong confidence in, w- in what the Cavs can do, and they could roll through the Eastern Conference. Um, now that it's spread out, uh, y- y- there's still some ifs and and some question marks. You're you're, you're relying on a lot of guys to either. Uh, refine their form or, or turning back the clock a little bit in Dwayne Wade, Derek Rose, Jeff Green, um, and, and even Isaiah Thomas and his health. Um, that's a lot of ifs, you know, I just, I just named four guys and then, you know, y- you look at some of these names and, and uh, Amon Schumper and J.R. Smith, uh, kind of had down years last year and, and Kyle Corver's getting up there in age. So everybody has, is coming into this roster, um, with, with some question marks and, and if we all of them hit and, and perform at their highest level uh, i think this Cavs roster could win the title pretty uh pretty strongly i mean they they have some huge names that just have are are either getting up there in age or, or have been dealing with some injuries um you, you have to expect that some of those guys are going to underperform regress a little bit or, or deal with some injuries especially you know, Wade and Rose and their history uh, with injuries. So um, it'll be a little, it'll it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm very curious to see how this team performs, especially when IT gets back in January. Um, I think if they hit on enough of those guys, yes, they're better equipped to beat Golden State. But if some of those guys uh, don't perform, if Isaiah Thomas doesn't come back in January or comes back a different player, uh, they may look human in the Eastern Conference and have trouble getting back to an NBA Finals for the fourth straight year.
1: Yeah, no, that that's a good assessment as well. I, I think of those names, I, I expect the least out of Derrick Rose because he has been dealing with injuries for so long that the, the fact if he's on the b- basketball floor, that that's the expectation for me. Um, I'm not expecting him to be a superstar is what I'm saying. I, I think the key is, can Dwayne Wade play the way he did in the Playoffs for Chicago because obviously you know just like LeBron maintenance in the regular season doesn't care as much about that. Can he play the way he played in the playoffs for Chicago last year? If he can, they kind of have the the three and a half big three because I think Isaiah Thomas will come back healthy and if he does, that is a good enough replacement for Kyrie Irving. And and then in that scenario, you definitely be a better team because then you have Jay Crowder, who I am confident will be the player he was in Boston for Cleveland. And that is a huge addition on the defensive side. And so now you go from having just three big superstars and and a lot of guys that they had to carry to a little more spread out talent, a few more guys you can play on the wing defensively, and um, you still got LeBron, Kevin Love, but you got D. Wade, who was playing well in Chicago for the playoffs, and Isaiah Thomas, who who was a young superstar like Kyrie Irving was. So if those two guys can hit, I think that they will be right there with Golden State and they will at least challenge them. Now, I am not going to pick them over the Warriors because the Warriors have been destroying this league for the last three years and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. But if this Cavs team hits on Wade and Thomas, I think that they can go toe-to-toe with them. Those are some big ifs though, especially with the hip injury to Thomas and D-Wade, I mean, he's he's not what he was. He has been dealing with injuries for the last couple of years. So we'll see. But I do think that they only really need to hit on one of them to get it out of the East. They're still, I think, significantly better than Boston if they have most of their stars healthy.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think uh, with relative good health heading into the postseason, the Cavs are still the team to beat in the East. And they can navigate that pretty easily. Um, you know, Dwayne Wade and Derek Rose. Yeah. Lots of injury concerns as we both highlighted upon, but they both averaged over 18 points a game last year I- I- in the regular season. And I think they both played over 60 games. Um, both of them also dealt with injuries throughout the regular season, but you know, they, they performed and, and they did not play with anybody, uh, of the caliber of LeBron James or on a roster as laden with talent as the Cavaliers are, Um, So I think that their efficiency will go up as will Jay Crowder's offensive efficiency. He's a really good serviceable player on the wing, uh, both defensively and offensively. I think playing with LeBron, he's going to see a bump in in, in his percentages. And I think he's going to be a really valuable cog uh, in the lineup. So yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I I really am. Um, We'll get to see uh, a a big question (laughs) uh, on tip off Tuesday night when, Kyrie Irving and the Boston Celtics come to town against the Cavaliers now there's some question about whether LeBron is going to be good to go with his ankle uh, originally it was ruled out now the coaches and J.R. Smith are saying LeBron may play he may not um, Chris if LeBron doesn't play uh, on Tuesday and Kyrie comes to town uh, is it still going to be as much of a, a theater performance as we thought it was?
1: No, because if LeBron's not on the court, you're not really beating the Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's just be real. I mean, Kyrie Irving can beat a LeBron-less Cavs all he wants. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, So... No, of course it loses a ton of luster if LeBron's not on the floor with Kyrie Irving. That's what everyone wants to see. Those two go head-to-head. And honestly, I don't care. I mean, it's the first game of the NBA season. Yeah, it would be nice to see them both go at it in Game 1. But honestly, man, that ankle in April is way more important than October. So the Cavs need to do what they got to do to make sure LeBron stays healthy. Because as you said before, he is the one guy on this team. They absolutely positively cannot
0: lose yeah for sure um well you know uh you know Kyrie's record is uh when LeBron isn't on the court so maybe that's a good thing if LeBron (laughs) doesn't play that's a good zinger right
1: yeah that's that 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 actually was a really one really good one (laughs)
0: though I mean I I I read interviews with this dude now and I'm just like how did I like you just six months ago is he? He's just trying to to make all of Cleveland hate him at this point.
1: Oh, he's trolling big time, but he's smart. He's all about his brand. He knows that the more he can attach himself to LeBron, the bigger his star will get.
0: Yeah, I guess so. You'd think that the easiest way to do that would be to still play with him, but <laughs> hey, whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I do hope LeBron plays because that'll be really fun to see. But I agree with you; his health in April is way more important than a meaningless game. Uh, to start the season though it would be really cool to see LeBron chase down some Kyrie blocks or something like that um I would love to, we'll see, have to see that
1: love to see that yeah.
0: and it's uh, not that this isn't the only time they'll face off I mean everyone's gearing up for a postseason matchup between these two teams and they face off later in the year but it's amazing what seven, yeah, years, be great.
1: What seven years will do to you because remember when Kyrie Irving was drafted, everyone was like, forget LeBron, we got Kyrie. And, and now it's like, forget Kyrie, we've got LeBron. It, it, it is so weird yeah. how this franchise has twisted and turned over the last seven years. It, the, the the story of the Cleveland Cavaliers this decade is easily one of the most compelling in all of sports.
0: Yeah, and just crazy. like I mean, Just insane.
1: There's no short of drama here.
0: Yeah, certainly not. Well, uh, I don't think anyone's doubting the the Cavaliers and their postseason aspirations and and that they'll have some success there. Just how far they'll go that that will be remain remain to be seen. and, And we'll have to keep track of that as the NBA season progresses, but nobody has any doubt about the Cleveland Browns and their postseason aspirations, which are non-existent and have been non-existent for almost two decades at this point, Chris, uh, Terrible showing against the Houston Texans. Uh, they benched Deshaun Kaiser for this game. Started Kevin Hogan because quote he gives us the best chance to win. Uh, and I had the unfortunate benefit of actually watching this game because me uh, too. The Titans, the Titans weren't on uh, down here, and so I got the broadcast on my local CBS channel. Um, and I, who who made that determination that Kevin Hogan? gives them the best chance to win i mean he was awful i mean i, I know deshaun kaiser struggles but man that he was awful the team was awful they went down 33 to three uh in that third quarter a couple late touchdowns in the fourth quarter made the final score 33 to 17 chris the browns are oh and six what went wrong in this game
1: aside from the usual everything Kevin Hogan gives us the best chance to win. Those six words in the same sentence—that's what went wrong in this game. I mean, look, yeah. Kevin Hogan is a third-string quarterback for a reason. He's—he's—he's he's, uh, he's not the answer. I, I mean, if, if you have to rely on him to get you through a game or something, that's fine. But he, look, I get it. Deshaun Kaiser is not ready yet. I get it. But he's got to get ready. So put him on the field and and let him go. Now, look, you made the change. You saw what you have out of Kevin Hogan now. It's time to go back to Deshaun Kaiser and let this guy develop because this is the future. Kevin Hogan is not your future. Deshaun Kaiser is. Get him back on the field and play. I'm not necessarily questioning the quarterback switch. Try to give your offense a spark. Try to see if Kevin Hogan can do it. Fine. You did it for a game. It was a disaster again. I mean, they're no better with him under center than Kaiser. So play the young guy who has the future, who has the potential, who has shown it a little bit. I'm not saying he's been great, but he has shown some flashes with the Browns. Put him in there and let him take his lumpings and develop him, because then you can go into the off season really having a good idea of what you have in Deshaun Kaiser.
0: Yeah, you have to go back to him, and I think you know there are decision hasn't officially been made but they're they're leaning towards starting him is what i read i mean i I watched some of the throws that kevin hogan made the ball took so long to get to wide receivers uh you you look at what kaiser does and and the arm that he has i mean he's the guy Uh, he might not be the guy now but he's gonna be you want him to be your guy and he has the talent to do so um so much so that the 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 other quarterback on the team you just faced you you passed up on, on drafting him and, and made a trade so to, to not draft Deshaun Watson, who uh, is you know, making you look really foolish, as is Carson Wentz.
1: Uh, well, he, you know, well D-
0: Kaiser is your guy.
1: One quick point. Yes, Deshaun Watson's doing fantastic this year. Let's rewind the clock one year. Carson Wentz was awful his rookie year. He threw a million interceptions. They were winning games where he was throwing four or five interceptions. But he still showed potential. Jerry Goff was terrible his rookie year. I mean terrible. People were saying the Rams might cut him in the offseason. The number one overall pick. And look at him now. He played most of last year. Carson Wentz played mo- all of last year. Took his lumpings. Learned. Look at where they are now. They've progressed you have to get the guys who are going to be your future on the field. It may look ugly now. It's not all going to look like Deshaun Watson. Let's not forget, Deshaun Watson is the quarterback for a team that has won nine games the last three years and has been in the playoffs multiple times. They are in a different place than the Browns. I don't care how good Deshaun Watson looks. He is playing on a team that has been tested and has a ton of veterans and has more playmakers on offense than Cleveland does. In fact, DeAndre Hopkins right there by himself is more playmakers than Cleveland does. I mean, to to, to, to look at Deshaun Watson and think that he would be doing what he's doing in Cleveland is insane. All I'm saying here is, Deshaun Kaiser's is your future. You tried to give the offense a spark with Kevin Hogan; it didn't work. I get why they did it, but Kevin Hogan is not the answer. He showed that against Houston. It is time to go back to Deshaun Kaiser and let him develop.
0: Yeah, I think they they will. I I think he is going to start, and that's going to be that. I mean, they're not they're not going to be any better for it uh, right now, but. I mean, as you said, this is all about development. Um, the one shining spot of this game, I'd say again, was Miles Garrett getting another sack—the only sack the Browns had uh, all, all game long. Now he has three sacks in two games. I mean, he looks like the real deal, right? Oh, Miles Garrett is the only bright spot on the
1: Cleveland Browns right now. That the, the, he's finally back on the field and and he is showing that he can play. I mean, the Browns may yeah. have finally gotten a, a legit blue chip player probably the first they've drafted since joe thomas if he continues on this trajectory
0: yeah he looks pretty legit and actually looks like uh, a football player so. yeah, th-
1: and they better not yeah. wait 10 years to get another blue chipper because can you believe it's been 10 years since they drafted joe thomas you can't hit yeah. every seventh year every every year that ends in seven it's not going to be conducive to building up a team <laughs>
0: Well, Chris, uh, Browns host the Titans next week. Uh, what chance are you giving them a win in that game?
1: I I can't give them a chance ever at this point. i got to see them win before I start giving them a chance. Corey Davis might be back next week. That guy is legit. I loved him in college. And uh, if Mariota plays, I think he's going to play tonight for Monday Night Football. So if he's back and doesn't have a setback, I, I just can't see the Browns winning this game.
0: Yeah, no, I mean – no they're not going to win this game uh if they do it's going to be a huge upset and a shock but i i don't anticipate that the titans um not off to the the start they wanted but they they are talented they have a legitimate quarterback they have a power run game and they have a surprising decent defense that certainly will take advantage of deshaun kaiser and the non-existent run game that the browns have so there's, there's no way that these Browns are going to win. But this game.
1: think about what you just said. You just said beating Tennessee would be a huge upset and a shock. Now, I'm not trying to hate on the Tennessee Titans, but man, that says something about the Browns when beating that team is a huge upset and a shock.
0: That's where we're at. What's the what? What's the likelihood that these Browns go in sixteen?
1: Pretty good right now. I, I, I still don't think they're going to do that. I, I they will get up and win at least one game. I actually I'm going to go bold. They're going to win at least three games. I think that they will get it together as the year goes on, and 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 I hope that it's just noise about the regime's jobs being on their line because that that's the last thing you got to do. You you suffered through all this. Now let's let's keep going. Okay. I'm sick and tired of these one and a half to two year rebuilds. You gotta suffer through it all the way to get to where you want to be, as bad as it is, and it is terrible. You can't just hit the reset button every every five seconds.
0: Though Hugh Jackson is not making it easy.
1: (laughs) I mean, look, no one's making it easy. But at the end of the day, I mean, would they be that much better with another coach?
0: No, no, definitely not. But he makes some weird choices sometimes is is what it looks like and and i mean i i want to give him a lot of credit and and leeway but i mean he's just he's just not making it easy <laughs> to stand by him
1: yeah i mean look man they they just got to suffer through this man i i i think it'll help if they end the season strong if they play if they win a couple games, three or four games in these next ten, you can at least justify the first six being a brutal kind of baptism for a lot of these kids, and then they kind of, quote-unquote, grew up in the second half.
0: Yeah. I hope so.
1: Because at least they'll have progress then. If you show progress, how can you fire them? Because they're progressing. They're moving forward. I really want the Browns to be good too, man. But, Bob, I I think everyone in Cleveland's just at the end of the rope. Yeah, it's just
0: we're you're tired <laughs> i mean you're tired of it oh, but all right well uh keeping this short you know don't want to get too down i already had to deal with the indians this week but uh we'll be back to talk more browns next week uh, chris going south to columbus for ohio state football uh winning big again 56 of 14 against nebraska jt barrett responsible for Seven touchdowns uh, in that game. Um, off this week, uh, then gearing up for hosting the number two ranked team uh, in all of football, Penn State. Uh, that's going to be a huge matchup. Um, what does Ohio State need to work on this bye week to get ready for that huge matchup?
1: Well, JG Barrett needs to keep playing the way he's playing, and, and he's going to have to rectify the the errors that he committed against. Clemson Michigan and Oklahoma the last three big games he's played they've dared him to throw and he has not been able to step up so if if he's in rhythm they're going to be fine they've been fine against this weak part of the schedule but Penn State's a different monster and Bob the playoffs are on the line they cannot afford to absorb another loss because that would pretty much make it hard for them to make win the Big Ten and I I just don't see a two-loss Buckeyes team sneaking in to the postseason so this is a playoff game coming up they got two weeks to prepare for it and and hopefully that they they will uh correct the issues they had against Oklahoma because they gotta go back to that film and, and 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 you know they gotta learn from those lessons hopefully they've been practicing that way and preaching that way during this weaker portion of the schedule and preparing that way but um that's the game I'm looking at more so than these last five
0: yeah definitely uh you know it, it's pretty simple at this point j t Barrett can they piece together some resemblance of a past game while keeping that run option game alive. Um, and you said it best that that uh, has not held true in, in the big games that they've lost recently, but um, they have a bye week. They need to work on it. I think there's no mystery of what Penn state's defensive approach is going to be. Penn state uh, is about to head into a brutal stretch uh, hosting Michigan uh, this upcoming Saturday. They don't have time to, to prepare for OSU like OSU does uh, on their bye week. Then they go to Ohio State. Then they go to Michigan State. So, um, yeah, a lot of big games uh, on the line here in the Big Ten. With all the losses in the top ten this week, OSU now ranked six. So I would imagine if they do beat Penn State uh, in two weeks' time, they will probably vault over Wisconsin and, and into that top four Um well and even yeah, if they don't game.
1: they'll control their own destiny because if they beat penn state they'll be close enough to the top that they still have michigan and then if wisconsin gets the big 10 title game them too so basically this is a playoff game because if you win it you control your own destiny
0: yeah definitely Well, we'll have a more in-depth preview uh of this matchup next week as it gets a little bit closer and we'll see uh where penn state stands after their big game against michigan um but yeah, the will, will certainly be exciting. Um, you know, OSU has been in kind of a downswing uh, with these blowouts. Uh, hasn't really been all that exciting. So uh, good good to see that they're heading into a big game. College football's
1: revving up, especially in the big ten, Bob. so uh, this is this is where the f- football gets exciting when college football starts getting exciting. But as you said, we yeah. will have more of that next week along with some more Cavs talk and Browns talk and all that fun stuff. But until then, we've jam-packed a ton in this podcast because we took a week off last week. We've got to say goodbye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Klee Talk presented by FenlyRoadSports.com. You can catch up on all our old episodes at FenleyRoadSports.com. Please subscribe to us via iTunes by searching Fenley Road Sports. Click Klee Talk and hit subscribe it's just that simple or you can hit the icon in the upper right hand corner of our website fenleyroadsports.com please follow us on Twitter and Instagram by searching Fenley Road Sports and thank you again for all your support for Clee Talk please come back next week where we'll talk more Cleveland sports but until then go Cavs and go Browns man get a win just get a win
0: <laughs> all right go Cavs Chris I'll see
1: you take it easy Bob.